Good morning to you. We will take this opportunity to open up God's Word. This is part of our Sunday worship in seeking to follow our New Testaments. We also seek to have a time in worship where we open up the Scriptures and let God speak to us. I've chosen to title our lesson, A Theme That Never Grows Old. There's an old gospel hymn. Sister Kay was helping me try to find it this morning. But part of the song says, In heaven they're singing the song of salvation, a theme that will never grow old. And glorified millions are singing it now in that beautiful city of gold. A theme that never grows old. We want to focus on some basic facts about salvation this morning. A theme that never grows old. With some people, it does grow old. And the apostle writing to Hebrews, Hebrews 5 verse 11 was speaking to Christians who had let it grow old. They had become dull of hearing. So much so that they needed someone to come again and teach them the fundamentals of the doctrine of Christ. The theme of salvation is a theme that will never grow old with us because we want to be faithful to God. So let's notice together this morning some basic facts about salvation. Number one, the fact that salvation is a deliverance. It's a rescue. Salvation is a deliverance. It's a rescue. I believe that every deliverance, every rescue that you read about in the Bible in some form or another, directly or indirectly, is a preview of the ultimate deliverance rescue we get through Jesus Christ from our sins. I think about Gideon and the book of Judges leading his people in a deliverance from the Midianites of that day. I think about, of course, God using Moses to bring the people out of the bondage of Egypt. I think about the people of God through the leadership of Nehemiah and Ezra and Zerubbabel uh, bringing back the people from Babylonian uh, captivity. I think about the several uh, times when we see Jesus healing people who are trapped in a terrible sickness, blindness, leprosy, whatever it might be, and he bringing them out of that is somewhat of a deliverance. But the greatest deliverance of all is the fact that salvation is a deliverance from the guilt and the consequences of sin. It's a deliverance from the guilt And the consequences of sin. Let's think about guilt for a minute. Guilt. When Peter preached about the Lord Jesus in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, 
In chapter 236, he said, This Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And the people were pricked to their heart. Now they have become guilty. Maybe they didn't realize the extent of their thoughts and knowledge and actions up until that time, but they felt their guilt on that occasion. In the Old Testament, guilt is sometimes expressed by the word contrite. Contrite. The word contrite means to be crushed down. That's what guilt does to us. It, it crushes us down to where we don't know what to do with our guilt. For example, in Psalm 51, David confesses his sin. And he says that the sacrifices of God are a broken heart, a, a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. That's the good news. That's the good news. God is looking to help us with our contrite, broken heart. That which has been crushed down because of the weight of sin. Isaiah 57, 15 says that God dwells in a high and holy place. But He also dwells in the heart that is broken and contrite and ready to turn to Him. So it's a deliverance from the guilt and consequences of sin. How can we think about that? If you have have looked directly at yourself and your sins and then looked directly to God and His Word, you have most likely come close to knowing what that guilt is. But for us to think about that, I have brought... um, I have brought Will Fletcher's backpack with me today. But I have labeled his backpack guilt. Guilt. And I have put inside this backpack several heavy rocks. And those rocks represent the sins that we commit. Oh, one rock might represent some words that I've said. One rock might represent uh, some habits I have formed. Another rock might represent the missed opportunities that I've had to help someone with the gospel. Another rock might represent the crushed uh, heart that I've had because of my own... uh, Failings before God. Another rock might represent the broken relationships that have come because of sin in my life. But whatever it is, we know. We know the guilt. We ask ourselves, how could I have done that? What was I thinking? What does God think of me? What do others think of me? This guilt. And you imagine... Let's just imagine it for a minute. The guilt, this backpack called guilt. There's actually cement rocks in here. I went out there beside the barn and put cement rocks in them in this backpack just a little while ago. Can you imagine wearing that all day long? 
all the time. Well, that would be better than to be carrying our guilt around. So the first thing about salvation is that it's a deliverance. It's a rescue. And it's the greatest rescue that's ever been contrived by God. Of all His rescues, this is the greatest one. Salvation is that. Deliverance uh, from sin. The second fact we want to notice about salvation is that only God, only God can bring us salvation. Only God. One of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is the strength of my, my life. Again, what shall I fear? Notice that first statement. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. And this speaks especially true to us today because we know that Jesus is that light. Jesus says in John 8 and verse 12, I am the light of the world. He that follows me will not walk in darkness. Jesus is that light that leads to salvation. If we walk in the light, 1 John 1 verse 7, we walk in the light as He is in the light, and we can have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from our sins. You see, we cannot, we cannot create salvation for ourselves. Jeremiah 10, 23 says that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. It's impossible for a man or two men or two ladies or a group or committee or religious body anywhere on earth to come up with Salvation for mankind. Only God uh, can do that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, we, we remember Paul saying, For by grace have you been saved through faith. This not of yourselves. It's not of us. This not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man uh, should boast. We love to read Paul in Philippians 4 when he talks about the peace of God that passes all understanding. Philippians 4 and verse 7, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. What that means for me, at least, is that this is a peace that can be ours, but it's a peace that cannot be brought to us by any man. Okay. Only the Lord Jesus, only God Himself can bring us this peace that we so uh, desperately uh, need. The good news is that God wants us to have this peace. He wants us to have this salvation, and this is illustrated so, so very well in the book of Luke 15, Jesus' parable of the, um, of the prodigal son. We'll be thinking about that in just a moment. I heard of a, well, I actually talked to a preacher one time who was telling me this experience. He said that when his uh, daughter was three years old, she was still in a car seat, and they were at a shopping center, and his wife had gone in to, to buy groceries, and he and his daughter were going to stay out in the car. And it shouldn't take too long. You know how that goes. It shouldn't take too long. Well, it did. And his three-year-old got squirmy, and then more than that, got fussy. And then she wanted to come out of that, that seat. Well, it, was, it wasn't too bad of a day, so he decided maybe if he would roll down the windows, then it would help her to breathe better and she'd calm down. Well, she just got worse and squirming and, and fussing. And finally, as somebody walked by their car, 
his three-year-old yelled out and said, Help me, please. Help me get out of this. Please help me. It was such an anguish of a call. But it reminded him, reminds me, of our condition in sin. This little three-year-old understood that she was trapped. She was in a situation, and someone bigger than her, and someone more powerful than her, was going to need to help rescue her. She would need someone bigger and more powerful than her to rescue her out of her car seat. And so it is with us in our sin. We cannot bring ourselves out of sin. Someone bigger, someone more powerful, someone much wiser is the one who can bring us out of our sin. God wants to do this. In Luke 15, you know, the, the boy who has all the guilt because he takes his father's inheritance and, and he runs off and, and he wastes not good to waste anything, is it? He wastes his substance in riotous living. And there was a famine came in the land. And he, he, before long, he was without anything. He, had, he lived a very destructive life. He lost his money. He lost his friends. He lost his dignity. Now he's out there feeding uh, the swine. And he decides, I know what I'll do. He thought to himself, how many of my father's servants have bread enough and to spare? I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I am no more worthy to be called your son. I have sinned against you in heaven. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your servants. Well, the story then is really about not just the the son's guilt, but the father's grace, the father's love and grace. Because notice... Three things about the father. Notice what the father did. The father saw his son coming home. Maybe the silhouette of him coming home. And he ran toward him and and embraced him and kissed him and welcomed him home with open arms. Notice what the father did. Notice how the father felt. It says when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. How thankful we are. We serve a God of love grace and compassion. He was moved with compassion. And then notice what the father said. Well, he instructed his his servants, you know, to go prepare a meal. They were going to celebrate. He instructed his servants to go get go get a ring, go get a robe, and go get some shoes for for my son. And then he said this, this my son, he was lost and now he's found. This my son, he was dead, but now he is alive. And that can be our reality, reality coming out of sin. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Hebrews 8, verse 12 says that the Lord, the Father, he will be merciful to our iniquities and He will no longer remember our sins. That can be us. And so the first fact is that salvation is a deliverance from sin. Secondly, only God can make this happen. The third fact about uh, salvation is this is made possible through the mission of Jesus Christ. Salvation is made possible through the mission of Jesus Christ. We remember what the angel said to Joseph, 
Matthew 1. He said, Fear not to take unto you yourself Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her uh, is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus because it is he who will save his people from their sins. And that's what the Lord does. It is he who will save his people from their sins. Notice how Paul later will comment on being the people of God. Galatians 3.26 Galatians 3.26-27 says, For we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. Indeed, salvation is made possible through the mission of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 5 verse 8 says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all those who obey him. Jesus is the author. He is the source. He's the creator of eternal uh, salvation. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, Salvation is in no one else. Salvation is found in no one else. And we remember right away Jesus saying in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. Here in Acts 4, verse 12, Salvation is in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We remember Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well in John 4. He said to her, if you knew who it was who was asking a drink from you, you would ask him for a drink and he would give you living water. She said, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is very deep. Jesus said, whoever drinks of this water, this well, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give to him, it will become within him a well of water springing up all the way to eternal life. Let's think about that gift that Jesus was talking about right then. That gift of salvation. The gift of salvation is the most expensive gift you'll ever receive. The gift of salvation is the most expensive gift you'll ever receive. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says it comes through the blood of the cross. The gift of salvation comes through the blood of the cross. Also, it is the most valuable gift you'll ever receive because it, it pertains to eternal life. Jesus is the author of eternal salvation. There's nothing more valuable than the gift of salvation coming from God. It's also the, mo the most personal gift. You know, there's some people who can buy you a gift and it'll be just exactly what you need. The gift of salvation is the most personal gift. And Paul talked about it this way in Galatians 2 verse 20 when he says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me, who loved me, and gave himself for me. The most personal gift you'll ever receive. It's also the most practical gift you ever receive. It's, it's a daily gift. You know, we get up daily and pray to God. Jesus instructs us in Luke 9, 23, to 
to take up your cross daily and follow Him. There's great value in being able to follow Jesus' steps every day. We make greater decisions. We have greater thoughts. We stay on focus. We have a greater purpose in our life when we follow the steps of Jesus. Luke 2.52 says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And He is the one. He is the one that we uh, should follow. The words of Jesus are so practical. Think about what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, when he says every scripture is inspired of God and it is profitable for doctrine and reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, may be uh, complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Every good work. Every good work. Following the example of Jesus, taking up his cross every day, and follow, following His Word every day will lead us to every good work. It's the most practical gift you ever receive. And so, salvation, fact number one is, is a deliverance from sin. Fact number two, it can only come through God. Fact number three, it is made possible, made available through the mission of Jesus Christ uh, to this earth. And then, salvation is the result of the drawing power of God. I love to think about this. The drawing power of God. Here we are in our flesh. Here we are in this limited world. What will God use to draw our attention to Him? Well, let's think about it. In John 12, 32, Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And then in John 6, 44 and 45, Jesus said, No man can come to me unless the Father draws him. But it is written, They shall all be taught of God. Everyone who hears and learns from the Father comes unto me. So there are two huge mechanisms. There are two huge things that God uses to, uses to draw us to Him. Okay. It is the gospel of love as expressed on that cross. Jesus said, if I be lifted up on that cross, I will draw all men to me. The love of God will draw us to Him. And then the gospel of truth will draw us to Him. Gospel of love and gospel of truth. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. John 8, 31 and 30. Two. Paul says we ought to speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4 and verse 15. Indeed, salvation is the result of God's drawing power. Drawing power. Think about folks who were drawn in that direction. Oh, there's so many examples. I think about those Ephesians. Those Ephesians. This is part of Paul's travels and his missionary journeys. We see him going to Ephesus in Acts chapter 18 and 19. 19 primarily. He goes in there and preaches the gospel. Notice what he says about Ephesians 1 verse 13. He says, Now... You heard, you Christians, you heard uh, our message, the word of the truth, 
uh, the gospel, and then you believed. Notice that in Ephesians 1.13. Notice in Acts chapter 19, 1-6, that Paul instructed there, and many were baptized in, in the name of Jesus. Notice in Ephesians uh, 5.25 that Paul uh, tells them, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it. And then read the next verse where it says that he has sanctified and cleansed the church through the washing of the water and the word. Don't you see that through a message of love from God and a message of truth from God, those Ephesians were baptized into the name of of Jesus. They went through the process of being um, sanctified, cleansed by the washing of water and the word. You see, salvation is the result of the drawing power of God, and it really still is. If we ever find ourselves drifting from God, these are the two places you go. Go back to the cross, the love of God. Go back to the truth of God. These are the only two things that can reignite our fire for the Lord. The next fact I want want us to see is that salvation is a personal choice. Salvation involves people's response to the gospel. In other words... We, the people, we play a part. We have a role. We have an active part in this salvation process. This is uh, borne out by uh, Peter's words in Acts 2, 40 on the day of Pentecost. Save yourselves from this untoward uh, generation. And Paul's words in Philippians 2, 12, work out your own salvation with fear uh, and, and trembling. I love what Jesus said there at the Feast of the Tabernacles in John 7, 37. If any man thirst, uh, let him come unto me and drink uh, of the fountain. Let him come unto me and drink if any man thirst. This shows us several things. It shows us that a person can be spiritual thirsty but not know where to go. It shows us that Jesus is the source of that satisfying quench of water that we need. It shows us that this is available to everybody But it shows us this, that as we come to Jesus, we must drink. We have a a role to play. We we have a part in this salvation process. God is powerful and sovereign, but He always cooperates with man's faith and obedience. That's why it's so instructive to read here and these people who respond to the gospel. Notice how that they understood that there's something for us to do in the salvation process. Again, there in the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, 37, they were pricked in their heart, and they asked, uh, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yep. What shall we do? The jailer asked in Acts 16 and verse 30, what must I do to be saved? Salvation is what God does, but we have a part in that process as well. And so Paul took the time to to tell the jailer, you must believe. And then he took the time to show him scripture and talk to him about the mission of Jesus Christ. And before long, the jailer and his household were baptized 
and they believed, truly believed in the Lord. Saul talks about his own conversion as he met Jesus on the way to Damascus. He became convinced of Jesus' lordship. And he said, Lord, what would you have me to do? And the Lord said, I want you to go on into the city of Damascus and it will be told you all the things that are appointed, that are appointed for you to do. And that's when Ananias is going to come into the picture and tell Saul what he must do. He tells him, arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. When we are at that point of faith and uh, humility, penitence, then we're in a good position to obey God. Go ahead and be baptized for remission of sins. But also, living the Christian life is like that as well. If we want to be in a good position for God to use us, we have to get back to faith, humility, and penitence. We've got to be turning from our sin, turning from our weaknesses, full of faith in God. He he will use us then. We're ready then to continue to serve Him. We're ready then to continue to obey Him. We have a part in that process. And then salvation is something that can be neglected. That's our next fact. These basic facts, we've got to land on this fact. Salvation is something that can be neglected. We see this in the question of Hebrews 2 verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? There is no escape. If we neglect the salvation offered through Jesus Christ, there is no escape from a coming uh, judgment. Jesus said this to some Jews of His day. He said, You will not receive eternal life because you will not come unto Me. Or in other words, He says, You will not come unto Me so that you can receive eternal life. You see, they had a part in the process and they would not believe and they would not come to Him. And so because they would not come to Him, they would not, could not receive the eternal life that He... It's available to them. Oh, that living water that would spring up into eternal life was available to them, but they would not take it. And Paul expresses something very similar in Acts 13, 46. As he's out preaching, I think at this point he is at Antioch of Pisidia, and several Jews were stirring up the crowds. Finally, Paul and Barnabas looked to those Jews and said, they said this, They said, it was necessary that the Word of God be preached to you first, but seeing that you are casting it away from you, and you are judging yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we are now turning ourselves to the Gentiles. You see, salvation can be neglected. I was talking to our sister Maynard just a couple weeks ago. And we were talking about old times. And she was relating that when they, her and Ron, first went to Minnesota to be missionaries, that one of the first converts they had was a young lady who had to travel some distance to come and meet with the, with the people and learn the truth, but she did, and she kept coming. 
they tried to study with her husband, and he, he just would not have it. They went back again and again to try to study with the same lady's husband, very, but he just would not have it. In fact, over the years, the, the young lady, she remained faithful. As the years went by, she remained faithful. But oftentimes her husband would make it difficult for her. Sometimes, all of a sudden, there would be some kind of medical emergency to where she would need to stay home from church. Sometimes, all of a sudden, there would be some kind of uh, automobile uh, emergency to where uh, she would need to stay home from church. He would constantly come up with these obstacles for her to attend worship, but she kept coming. She kept coming. And over the course of 30 plus years, she kept coming. Brother and Sister Maynard kept serving there and other, other people were converted, but this, this lady just kept coming. Then she got sick just a couple of years ago. She got sick. Her husband did not, but she got sick. And finally it came to the point where she was going to pass away. Interestingly, the husband called brother and sister Maynard and said, you'll probably need to come on over to the house. It won't be long now. And so they went, and so did other brothers and sisters. And they sang gospel songs, and the husband stood there beside the bed singing with them some. And then sometimes not. But after she passed, and after the funeral, they pled with the husband again, and he would not obey. Think about the husband there, how he had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Even right there, there seemed to be a touch of sensitivity, a touch of, of humility as his wife passed away, but before long, his heart became hard again. The reality is, and this is a fact of life, that we can neglect uh, salvation. And then, finally, we can be confident of our salvation. I want us to know this this morning. We can be confident of our salvation. I love this fact as much as any of the facts because this is what the Lord wants us to know. Let's hear from three guys, Peter, Paul, and John. Now, Peter was confident of his salvation. If you look at 2 Peter 3, verse 12... He's, he's looking forward to the coming day of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord. He's looking. He says, I hope that day hastens forward. I hope it gets here fast. He's looking forward to that. And Paul was confident of his salvation, 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. He says, Henceforth there is laid up for me that crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not to me only, but all, to all those who love his appearing. Let's look at John 2, Revelation 22, 20. It's interesting how that ends there. It says, The one who testifies to you these things says, I come quickly. It's almost as if, and I don't want to speak out of turn here at all, but if you look at Revelation 22.20, He that testified these things says, Yea, I come quickly. It's almost as if that's Christ Himself saying, I come quickly. But then notice how John follows that up. He says, Amen, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. 
these men were confident of their salvation. It's because they remained faithful unto God. There was a man who was having some doubts about prayer, whether God hears his prayers or not. And so a preacher advised him, said, what I want you to do, I want you to go out into a secluded place. I want you to go out here in the forest. I want you to make sure no one else is around you. You are totally secluded. And I want you to look up to heaven, and I want you to curse God. I want you to curse Him to His face. The man said, are you crazy? That would scare me to death to do that. He said, well, how is it that you believe God's going to hear your curses, but not your prayers? The same thing when it comes to our salvation. Many of us will start doubting and saying, well, I don't know that God has forgiven me. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure I've come out of my sins. How can... How can you look at God and say, well, I believe I've sinned against you, God, but then look at the same God and the same book and say, well, God, I'm not sure you've taken my sins away. The, the same book, the same God, who tells us that our sins condemn us, is the same God who has the same book who tells us our sins can be washed away. That through Jesus and that through His blood. These facts of salvation should be ours. We should know them, live them, be ready to share them because of this backpack. This backpack of guilt. What about what about your life? What about my life? Am I carrying around burdens? Am I Missing the peace that only God can establish, only God can bring. The good news is we can just lay this backpack of guilt aside because the gospel instructs us to come to the Lord, submit to Him, and obey Him. If we can assist with any spiritual need this morning, if there's something heavy on your heart, Please know the Lord knows this. The Lord knows what it is. And the Lord has a way out of it. Will you come right now as we stand together? As we stand together.